The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. What is the messiest part of your life? If you think about all the different things going on in your life, what area is the messiest? I would probably lean in and suggest that this is true for all of us, that it's probably conflict. So, you know, are you the kind of person that causes conflicts or do you withdraw? Do your claws come out or do you pull away and hide? Uh, Conflict is hard and most of us are not good at it. And so we get into fights, we create fights or we run from fights, right? It's that fight, flight, or freeze. And depending on where you're at, you've either become paranoid of getting into a difficulty, uh, into a disagreement, into an argument, into a fight, or you're somebody who is combustible. And the moment there's conflict, you just jump in and you jump at it. And some of you are proud of yourselves, for being somebody who's quick to engage in a fight or an argument. So in my home, you know, anytime I preach, I always try to, you know, make this very personal and even share personally. But this is an uncomfortable one because I feel like I'm, I'm giving you a little glimpse into my own home and my own world. Well, my home is maybe a little bit like yours where there's a fair amount of disagreement and arguments and fighting. Now, I realize that when I say that, that's a broad generalization. But what I mean is, you know, I have a strong personality. I mean, you guys all put up with me every, all the, you know, regularly. Uh, so you can imagine me in a disagreement. Uh, and, and my wife, Laura, she's Italian. Now, I know that we make all kinds of like statements about different uh, nationalities and ethnic backgrounds that kind of are over generalizations. But, you know, if you know anything about Italians, they're, they're feisty. And, uh, and then we have six kids. And, and so we got the older girls, right, who when they were young, what I saw in them when they would get in a fight is there was a fair amount of yelling and words and crying and hurt feelings. And so a phrase I used all the time was, hey, we are low drama. And I would literally get the girls to say that to me. Come on, say it. We are low, what are we? We're low drama. You got to bring down the drama, right? But I mean, it didn't work. They just cried and yelled and, you know, were angry with each other. But now with the boys, which is how I grew up, right? With, with brothers, you, you don't, you didn't yell a lot. We didn't use a lot of words, but we did use a fair amount of like violent interactions, meaning we would just hit each other. And, and so I don't know. I don't think I trained them this way, but I think my boys, that tends to be the way things are. If they get frustrated, they get mad, they kick something, they hit something, they punch something. And so one of them gets frustrated at the other one, they'll come running from across the living room and just tackle them. And it's hard as dad not to laugh and think that's funny, uh, especially if one of them like, is picking themselves up, looking a little dazed. Um, and, and so, you know, then uh, one of their cousins their cousins come over, like, who are about the same age as them, the girls, and, uh, you know, if one of their cousins takes a toy, they don't like it, I'm like, no, you can't run across the living room and head tackle your cousin to get your toy back. That's not appropriate, right? And so I have this, my favorite uh, phrase with the boys, which to the girls, it was, we are low drama. With the boys, it is, you can get mad You can be mad, but not bad, 
right? So I'm trying to tell them, like, you can get mad at someone. You can be frustrated, but you can't be bad, right? You can't hurt things. You can't break things. You can't smash things. That's not the answer for conflict. And and so, right, uh, here's the deal, right? With kids, uh, what we're trying to do as parents is teach them impulse control. You can't give into every moment of anger, right? You can be mad, but not bad. But we're also trying to teach them potty training, right? Like you can't just go whenever you want. Uh, you got you to hold that in until you get to the appropriate spot. You can't just yell and scream and react however you want. Like we're teaching them impulse control. And then eventually, hopefully, as you get older, you learn some impulse control, But the challenge is this, are we any better at conflict? Because probably in your experience, a little bit like mine, so often conflict becomes combat and we ruin relationships because even though we learned impulse control, meaning we've learned how to hold in our violent or angry reactions or our painful reactions, we haven't necessarily learned a better way of fighting. So now, where otherwise we'd have rather just reacted and, you know, throat punched or gotten mad and hit or broke something, now we just hold that in, and as a result, we're holding grudges, we're holding on to bitterness and jealousy and anger and these deep, dark, violent feelings that then seep under the surface and they grow and they metastasize and they destroy relationships. Maybe you grew up in a home where the way um, conflict was handled was abusive or violent. And as a result, you hide from conflict because all you know is conflict is bad. So you hold in your feelings, you hold in your thoughts because you never want to say anything that kind of stirs the pot or um, is in any way disagreeing. And as a result, you never feel heard. And so you never work through conflict. Or maybe um, because of the way you grew up, you overreact. You, you, um, you react in a demonstrative, controlling way. You put others down or you insult or you hurt because you've been hurt, because you've been insulted, right? Whatever fills, spills. And so if I've been hurt, I tend to hurt. I have this uh, saying that I use a lot in pastoral ministry as well in my home. Hurting people hurt people. And, you know, in this, in this series, Bless This Mess, we've done two messages about the way we speak. I did a message about the blessing, not, not cursing, but blessing. And then we did another message about a better way of communicating and using our speech to build up rather than to tear down. Communication is hard. It's hard because we don't always say what we mean to say and others don't always hear us accurately, and then when they react, they're not necessarily saying what they mean to say. And so by the time you have an exchange, you discover very quickly, communication is hard. But try doing communication under extreme stress, under extreme pain, in an emergency, right? And now communication goes from being difficult to nearly impossible. And that's not even fighting. Fighting is communication when all of your coping mechanisms are not working or you choose not to work your coping mechanisms, right? So like this is when things start breaking down and that's when fighting begins. 
And so what I want to challenge you with, is there a better way to fight? And so I'm kind of giving you permission today that you can fight. I just want you to learn a better way of fighting so that it doesn't, so that conflict doesn't become combat. And so I want to introduce a few passages to you from the Bible. Uh, Both of them are letters written by the Apostle Paul to churches in cities that are very similar. The first is to the city of Corinth, and I'm going to read a brief passage from that. And then we're going to switch over uh, to a letter Paul wrote to the city of Ephesus. Both of them are cities that are known for love. I mean, it's forever Valentine's Day in these cities, but not the kind of love that is sweet and romantic, a very sexualized and exploitive love. So it's love, but it's, it's sex trafficking, it's abusive, and, and both of them have at the center of their city a temple to a goddess. And each of them are account, they're basically uh, the goddesses of erotic love. And so in their worship of these goddesses, they're exploiting individuals, they're, they're promoting prostitution, which is really sex trafficking, abusing individuals. And so the version of love that is celebrating, celebrated in both of these cities is a selfish, abusive, exploitive, what they call love. And so to the Corinthian church, the apostle Paul is writing about love and is teaching them a better way. And so as I jump in, we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 31, where he says this, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. There's a better way. And he goes on, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And I thought, boy, that sounds a lot like fighting Um, in my home, where sometimes when people are yelling or they're disagreeing, it can sound a lot like banging cymbals, like a gong, gong, you know, this big cymbal that just won't stop ringing in my ear. And sometimes you just feel like, like, stop it, be quiet. You can actually see this happening in my home, right? Uh, Why? Because it just hurts your ears when it's not motivated by love. And that's what the apostle Paul is getting at. When we're motivated by love, it changes everything. It changes the way we communicate, the way we speak, and even the way we fight. You can actually fight better when you're fighting in love. And so now I want to shift over to uh, his letter to the church in Ephesus, where the Apostle Paul, again, is speaking about how love changes the way we interact. And so he he specifically focused on uh, our conflict with words. And so he writes this in in Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so when he talks about not allowing any unwholesome talk out. He's actually talking about not letting anything that stinks or is rotten come out of your mouth, but only what builds up so that you're not tearing others down. What is helpful, not hurtful. And so what I want to simply do is take that passage and then give you some practical application on how to fight better by fighting fair. So how do, you, how do you fight fair, which is a better way of fighting, which is really rooted in love? If love covers 
the way we interact with others, we will fight better. We'll, 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 we'll have better disagreements on social media, better disagreements around cult, culturally um, sensitive issues, things that are highly controversial. We'll have, a, we'll have a better way of interacting around politics and s- serious disagreements when it's love that covers the way we fight. And so why, why do we have unhealthy fighting? Well, believe it or not, in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, he actually explains this in verse 22. He says, um, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And so what he's saying is this, in every one of us, there is this uh, corruption that's driven by deceitful desires. In essence, when we're fighting, what's really going on is this old version of each one of us is motivated by our selfishness, by these deceitful desires, meaning they're tricky. Sometimes we don't even recognize our deceitful desires, that we have false motives or hidden motives that are driving the argument and we're mad, but we're concealing what we're really mad about. We're taking out on them pain that's inside of us. Sometimes we're really angry at ourselves and we're taking it out on someone else. Sometimes there are desires that are corrupting us, driven by selfishness. And so why does he use this version of this? He says this old self, because he's saying that for those who believe in God, there's an old version of you that was corrupted, not just by deceitful desires, but our desires were corrupted by sin. Sin is this corrupted spiritual version of every one of us. So every one of us at the core have this broken, um, fractured spiritual source that causes our desires to be deceitful. It separates us from relationship with God and heads us on a life course of ruin. Sin, this spiritual corruption, affects the way we speak. It affects relationships because it cuts us off from right relationship with God. So now we're, we're fighting with God, even if we don't realize it. Our, our desires become corrupted and deceitful. So every interaction is broken. This is how conflict becomes combat because we're fighting with ourselves. Things aren't right inside of us. And so what, is, what does God do about this? What do we do about this? Well, in, in the passage, he says this. You were taught, and then he goes on to say, you were taught that you have this corrupted desire inside of you. He goes, but yeah, you, you were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds, in the way you think. You, you got to have a new way of thinking. And to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And I, I read that and I was like, man, that's, that's what we need. I need a new self that acts and looks a little bit more like God that does right things when I feel the wrong way. And so how do I, how do I have, how do I put off this old version of me that's deceitful in its desires and take on a new created version that looks a lot more like God? And the answer he offers is this. It's, it's found later in this chapter in verse um, 32 where he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God in Christ, God forgave us or forgave you. And there it is. 
This changes everything about the way we fight. It's a better way of fighting. Why? Because we recognize that we can forgive others because God has forgiven us. How do we do that? How, How does that change everything? I don't care what situation you've been through. I don't, regardless of what you've been fighting about or arguing about or disagreeing about, God can change that because he changes you. The version you are outside of God is the corrupted version. It's, it's the version of you that is um, being driven by deceitful desires, ruined by sin. God wants to take that part of us and he wants that to be put to death so that we are risen to new life through relationship with God and then we, we, we put on a new version of us which is the version that is changed by God's spirit. How? Well, he, here's how. Recognizing, number one, that we are far from God because of the sin that has corrupted us and that Jesus came to die to make us new. Jesus When Jesus came to earth, God becomes a man. He goes to the cross. He didn't die because he deserved to die, but because this sin nature inside of us that is corrupting us and ruining relationships is leading to a forever ruin. So what Jesus did was he took on our death sentence, our eternal death penalty, put it on himself. He died in our place. He absorbed the judgment for our sins, the guilt and the shame that ruins every one of us. It's this, the combat inside of us spiritually that is corrupting us. And Jesus took on our fight, but he didn't just fight, he didn't just fight our fight. He died in our place absorbing our judgment. But you know, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead victorious over sin, victorious over eternal judgment. So when you and I believe in Jesus by faith, we are forgiven and given new and forever life. And God's spirit comes into our spirit and gives us new life and a better way of life because we have God's spirit not only living in us, but living through us. Look, if today you've never said yes to Jesus, can I encourage you? Would you take a moment right now and pause and just say yes to Jesus. Believe by faith that Jesus not only has died for you, but he has given you new life through his resurrection. He wants to to take away the old version of you and give you a new self created by God. God's spirit in your spirit. And if you're saying, if you're making that decision today, would you let us know? You're just simply saying yes to Jesus and allowing God's spirit into your spirit. And if you're saying yes to Jesus, would you let us know? Text the name Jesus to 81411. As as you're saying yes to Jesus, let us know that we would love to encourage you and cheer you on as you begin this new journey in relationship with God. And that's exactly what it is for every one of us. As you believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit that comes into your spirit should begin to change you, flushing out the old and the new becoming more and more alive in your life. Now, this doesn't happen immediately. The word we use and the word that's used in the Bible is this word sanctification. But if you're fighting Today, the same way you did when you first believed in Jesus, it's because you're resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so the Apostle Paul walks us through how the Holy Spirit in us begins to change, not just the way we speak, but the way we fight, 
when our coping mechanisms aren't healthy. Okay, so this is when stress is high and things feel a little out of control. Maybe when you're going through something at work or in another part of your life and it's affecting the way you're handling crisis situations. And the Apostle Paul is saying that even in those moments, the Holy Spirit wants to empower a new version of you to fight better. All right, so let's jump back in and let's read a little bit of how he said we should handle conflict. So we're going to read from verse 25 through 27. I'm going to add a little bit to it. He goes, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Don't lie. Don't say things that aren't true. And speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. You see how practical this is? Man, the Apostle Paul is like, hey, here's some things you got to keep in mind. Don't lie. Don't speak things that aren't true. Speak the truth. Um, And then he goes, and then he just continues, he says, recognize that we're, man, we're we're a family here. We're all part of one body. Don't let the the sun go down in your anger. Um, He goes, and in your anger, don't do the wrong thing. Don't sin. And do not give the devil a foothold. Don't let him creep in and begin to destroy relationships. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And then he continues and says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And so with that, I want to, he's saying, you got to get rid of these things in your life because they'll wreck you and they'll wreck relationship. So, and and just before that, right, I I referenced earlier, he goes this, um, he goes, we must not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth. And the word unwholesome there is a word really to capture this idea of rotten trash, rottenness, right? So maybe the word, the word could be used for something like rotten meat, food that's expired, but also like, you know, like when the weather gets warm and you leave food uh, debris or food trash in the can and you open it up and it just stinks. He said, there are, there, there are words and talk that gets inside of us and we store it up like a trash can. And the moment you open your mouth, what it stinks. What comes out of you stinks. It, it sounds nasty. It, it, it sounds rotten. And not only does it not help, it hurts. And, and so a principle, I just worded it this way. Better fighting means taking out the trash regularly. Look, if you don't take out the trash in your home, I mean, imagine the bathroom trash never got taken out. Now, in our home, we still have our youngest one who's potty training. And if somebody throws a poopy diaper in a trash that doesn't have a lid on it, you can tell. You walk around the corner and you're like, what? That is disgusting, right? And so you're even even a diaper that doesn't have poopy in it, right? It's just, it's got a number one. If you leave it in there long enough, it will stink. And so I always make it a point like, hey, someone bring this diaper down into the kitchen trash can because that thing closes, right? But then if you leave the trash in the trash can too long, it stinks. It's disgusting. Some of you, you haven't taken out the emotional trash in your life in a long time. You haven't taken out the, the trash 
that's growing in the relationship for a long time. And you know what happens? It starts to stink. Man, sometimes just one bad situation can corrupt the whole relationship. And what happens then is then when we get into a, a heated disagreement, when, when stress is high, when situations are in crisis mode, what happens is you open the trash can and everything just starts flying out. All that trash starts coming out. And so he's very deliberate. He says, okay, here's what you got to do. You got you to take out the trash of bitterness. Wherever you've been holding resentment, why do they get this? Why, you know, like in our home, when Laura's home with the boys and I go to work and, it's, and sometimes Laura will, in a disagreement, it sounds like she's doing me a favor letting me go to work. And, and, and I'll get frustrated. I'll be like, what are you saying, right? And, and suddenly there's a, there's a bitterness in us that can come out. I'm like, you, you think you're doing me a favor letting me go to work to pastor our church? I mean, God called me to this. And, and then I have to remind wait, wait, we got to take out the trash of that bitterness. You had a hard day. You were home with the boys and they were, they were not just being mad, they were being bad. And, and so there's some trash that has to get taken out. Take out the bitterness. But he, just, he doesn't stop there. He says, not just get rid of bitterness, get rid of rage and anger. Rage is when when. It, when anger becomes sinful, right? It's this violent anger. We got to get that out of our system. That's just not, that's not just for men. That's for each of us. Making sure that we don't get, we don't just get hurtful in our being mad. He says, we got to take out brawling and slander. This is, this is the, when it gets wildly out of control. We got to take that out. We got to get rid of that. Along with all forms of malice, Malice is this intention to hurt. Get that out of your life, right? Take out the trash. Lay, get, get rid of stuff that will destroy and deteriorate the relationship. If there's something that has, that, that's been brewing inside of you or in that relationship for too long, you need to get rid of that. And so how do you do that? Well, let, let me just give you a real, some practical tools. He says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen, right? And so this idea of um, make sure that rottenness isn't coming out, make sure that what is coming out builds up rather than tearing down. So in what way, even in a fight, is this profitable? Is this helpful? To every single person who hears, does this build up or does this tear down? And anything that tears down, I need to take out that trash. And then, how, how do I, so how do I do that? Better fighting means being proactive. Proactive means, uh, I want to borrow this idea from the golden rule. Golden rule is do to others as you would have them do to you, right? So hold up, here we go. So that's good, but think about fighting. I, what, what I mean is fight others the way you would want them to fight you. So the key here is this, do unto others before they do to you, right? That's the golden rule. Do to others before they do to you. That means, I want you to write that down. I want you to take note of this. Do, do unto others before they do unto you, which means throat punch them before they can throat punch you, right? That's, I know that's what you're thinking, and I know you all want to pause and laugh and be like, yeah, Patrick, Pastor Pastor is giving us permission to hit before we get hit. That's the rule in my home. No, uh, what, what I mean is this proactively make things right without expecting the other person to come to you. Go ask for forgiveness before waiting for them to come to you. This one's hard. 
This is so tough because your instinct is they hurt me. They wronged me. They did it to me. They should come to me. And I'm just going to say, no, you need to proactively go to them, do to them before they do to you. Do to them before you expect them to do it to you. So I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to offer forgiveness before I demand forgiveness or I expect them to come and ask for forgiveness. Not only that, but doing to others before, I, before they do it to me means what? I'm going to offer understanding. I'm going to take time to listen before being heard. I'm going to take time to understand before being understood. I'm going to take time to lean in and care for them before I expect them to care for me. This would change the way you fight if you would be proactive in conflict. Look, that, that's, a, that's one of my biggest rules. Be, be proactive. Jesus taught this over and over and over. He goes, if, if there's a problem, if somebody has a problem with you, go to them. Don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. If you have a problem with someone and it needs to be addressed, go to them. Don't let it grow under the surface, right? Because unresolved conflict is like cancer. The sooner you deal with it, the greater the chances of getting it out in a healthy way and curing it so that it doesn't metastasize and spread and destroy the relationship. Conflict is an opportunity for growth if you can deal with it early and deal with it quickly. One of the key things I want you to catch is this. Uh, better fighting means pausing first. Just learn the art of pausing. I would say think first, right? But often when we're, when we're angry, when, we're, when our coping mechanisms are gone, we don't have the ability to think first. And so I would just say pause first. So pause in a, right? Something is getting heated. Take a moment, take a breath, sit down, maybe even pause and pray. In fact, can I encourage you from now on in your home or if you're in a, if you're in a situation where you see there's conflict pretty regularly, Put a rule in place that every time we get into a heated situation, we're going to pause for two or three minutes and we're going to pray out loud. Not pray against each other, not pray God's wrath on the other person. Just pause and pray for peace, pray for wisdom, pray for the best of this situation to work out. That, that alone could absolutely change your home, your marriage, your family, your workplace. Another thing I want you to do is pause to see the bigger picture. See that people matter more than the situation. Pause, not so you can um, be right, but so you can make it right. It's about relationship. Pause to see the bigger picture. Pause to gain perspective. Gaining perspective is this. <laughs> Sometimes when we're fighting, we get lost in the way we see things. Gaining perspective means this. With the exception of one, the entire population of the world is made up of others, which means the way you see things is not always the right way to see things, nor is it the only way to see things. And sometimes simply by pausing, you can begin to see things from the other person's perspective. That also allows you to pause to cool down. Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? Which means I got to cool down so I can simmer down and then get the anger out so I can make the situation right before we go to bed at night, all right? That might mean you're going to stay up all night to work it out, but don't go to bed. Don't, don't go to sleep angry with each other. And now I want to I land this by giving you a few skills, and then I'm going to wrap this up. Here it is. I want to give you some skills for fighting fair. 
Be gentle. Choose gentleness over rage and malice and brawling. Speak softly. Be kind. Lower the volume. I I know some of you, this is really hard, so you gotta take a prayer moment to calm down and be gentle. Just turn it down a couple notches. Speak gently. Speak kinder, more gentle words. Stay focused on the situation at hand. Some of the most challenging things you can do is when you take the situation and you make it bigger than it should be, you need to stay focused on the crisis or the problem or the disagreement that's in front of you rather than dragging in all the other trash that didn't get taken out. If you, see, if you notice that things are getting out of hand and there's trash coming out, then you need to shift the focus on taking out the trash so that you don't drudge up the past. Take out the trash so you don't drudge up the past because you got to deal with the past, take it out so you can focus on the situation in front of you. And then finally, avoid insults and hurtful speech. That's what he's talking about here. Don't, Don't say hurtful things. Don't be mean. Don't be rude. Don't be disrespectful. Don't demean, don't degrade, and don't be disrespectful. Say what builds up, even in a crisis, even in a hurtful situation. Choose to listen first, Choose to understand first. Be proactive in your conflict, right? Do to others before they do to you. Say, I'm sorry, before they have to say they're sorry. God is about relationship. God loves people. People are more important than whatever situation you're fighting over. So you got the goal is reconciliation. Reconciliation means making it right, not always being right. I love you. My goal in being transparent with you is that I can not only model this, but encourage you to apply God's word to your life and see how it would change your relationships. We're saying, God, would you bless this mess? And and relationships are messy. Conflict is the messiest, but I believe that God can do a miracle in your life, in your home, in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids or your parents, your classroom, and your workplace. Now, you know what God did? He took it all on himself. That's right. Jesus, I said he went to the cross and he died for us. You, you know what Jesus did? Before the, the night before, the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. They were at a meal together, call it the Last Supper. He took the bread and he broke and he said, this is my body broken for you. Then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out. For you. This, is a, this establishes a new relationship between us and God. A, a relationship where God fought for us. That's what Jesus was doing. He was, his body was being broken and his blood poured out fighting for us because he loves us so much. And so as we take this time, what we're gonna do is we're gonna celebrate this communion meal. You're joining us online. You're at our Chambersburg campus. I'm gonna invite you to take this communion with us. But before we do that, we pause to reflect. Is there anything in the way of my relationship with God? And if so, I need to make it right. So how do I make it right? By God, would you look in my heart? If there's anything getting in the way of my love with you, would you forgive me? And so as you, as you prepare to take communion with us, would you just allow God to, you know, speak to your heart. If there's anything getting in the way, let's make it right. Let me, let me just take a moment and pray. And then we're gonna go into this song and give you space to prepare yourself. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you fought for us, not against us. You fought for us so that you could change us to to remove the corruption of sin, to give us new life, a new version of us, a better
better version of us. And so God, as we prepare to take this communion meal, we thank you for your broken body and your spilled blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.